to the Britain Yankee Pub Studios, where we're in for another virtual happy hour. And I'm very happy to say today that we're heading down the Rock River to Byron, Illinois, and we're going to be meeting up with the brewer at the Hairy Cow Brewery and Restaurant. I think it's actually officially the Hairy Cow Brewery, but we'll come to him in just a second. With me, I'm glad to say today, even though... He has been back in his brewery brewing, but has tweaked his back again, is Mr. Ken McMullen from Hot Vine Brewing. Hey, Ken, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Phil. Glad to be here. No, you're not. You're not doing all right. You're bloody hurting, aren't you? You know what? It's only one side, so before it was both sides, so I'm happy for that. How about that? <laughs> okay, 50% pain is better than 100% pain. <laughs> yeah. And I see you, you are working the skull cap uh, do-rag thing there. Yeah, just trying to the, – all of the hair looks like this, so this keeps it kind of in. I got, I got mine coming out. Yeah, I got mine as well. Yeah. I, I'm trying to do the little ponytail. But. <laughs> anyway, today I'm very happy to say that we ha do have a man who has very respectable hairiness. And why not? Because he is a brewer – I'm very pleased to introduce Mr. John Lambert, who is sitting in the brewery at the Hairy Cow Brewery in Byron, Illinois. Hello, John. How are you? Hey, doing great, Phil. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, John, because I know it's been a bit of an uphill climb to get you uh, to uh, come on our show. You've been a busy man. It's a busy time. Turns out beer and pizza is, is popular. Yeah. <laughs> And, and we'll get into how you guys have uh, survived through the lockdown and the COVID very shortly. But of course, it wouldn't be the Britain Yankee Craft Beer podcast slash videocast, where we are now, if we didn't have beer. And of course, we have samples of your beer here, the Hairy Cow Brewing, which has been put in cans. And I'm going to crack open uh, the... One that I want you to tell the story of, it's the cream ale, which I know not many breweries do a cream ale these days. It's getting a little bit more popular. Oh, look at that. Ken has it as well. Thank goodness we're in sync, Ken. <laughs> so let's crack it open together. Here we go. Beautiful. I'm going to pour this, and uh, it's coming out a delicious color, which I think a cream ale really pays attention to a nice 
pale yellow color. And if we, uh, oh, I've got mine in my, in my little video down here, so you'll see a close-up. Look at that, beautiful. Now, Ken, you do a cream ale as well, or you have done a cream ale in the past, right? Uh, yeah, that beer I used to brew, our most popular, biggest seller down at Limestone was a cream ale. That was uh, Electric Park Gold, I called it. I remember it well. Um, I've tasted this. And it has a delicious breadiness to it. I don't know if that's the cream ale profile, but I really like this beer. So, John, yes. tell us about the name and tell us about the beer, because Turtle Tree is quite uh, something that you need to know about when you go down to Hairy Cow, right? Yeah, so the name most of our beers are kind of organic. They just kind of happen. Like, we don't like to just... Oh, let's call that three sheets or whatever. You know, there should be a, a story behind it, hopefully. So, yeah, the, 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 the cream ale came about. Um, I, I wanted a beer that would be very approachable. I feel like, you know, we're in the business of educating people who may be drinking very light beers and very flavorful less beers. So the cream ale is just a, a, a light offering that's, that's very approachable for those people who are bush light, Miller light drinkers. Um, but still has flavor. So anyway, but the name, so we are on the, on the, on the Rock River, on the banks of the Rock River in Byron, Illinois. And so we have uh, some trees out, out, out back of our brewery on the, on the deck. And uh, there is a, a tree that has three little turtles sitting on it. If you look at, look at it just, just a certain way and they look like turtles. So we named that turtle tree. And then uh, early on we decided, well, what better name for our, probably most popular beer than Turtle Tree. And I have had the pleasure of sitting on your balcony facing the Rock River. And it wasn't until you came out and talked to me that I realized what, what the story was. <laughs> so I've, we put a picture up for that. So hopefully people have seen that now. Nice. So you say this is one of your very most popular beers. Uh, it, it is, you know, I'm, I'm new in the, in the craft beer business. I've been brewing for many, many years, uh, but I didn't come from another brewery. I came from uh, the homebrew background. And so uh, typically everybody says your lightest offering is going to be your most popular. So those people who aren't beer drinkers, if they're going to drink a beer, they're probably going to drink your lightest beer. And um, those people who are Bush Light, Miller Light drinkers, you know, this is the closest thing they're going to have to that. So... You, you indicate that your background is not necessarily in brewing. You were home brewing, which yeah. suggests that you also did something else for a living. I did. I had to make a living while I was, you know, <laughs> kind of working on my hobby. So I actually was in, in the IT field for uh, nearly 20 years. I worked, uh, I started off as a, a help desk uh, at a bank. And then kind of slowly made myself through the ranks and become became a, a network engineer for for the bank. And then uh, that that endeavor they went under, and so I ended up uh, working for my local church, which is a pretty good sized church. And so I was with the church as an IT director for 13 years. So you uh, have always been in the Byron area. Actually, I live in Rockford, Illinois, which is about Oh. Um, 20 minutes north of, uh, of Byron. 
And uh, so Byron's a pretty small community. We've got a, a nuclear plant here and a ton of smaller communities. Byron's about 3,800 people. And uh, Rockford's about 150,000 people. So uh, that's just part of the story too, is like how and why we ended up in Byron. So I understand uh, from a recent news article that potentially in the next couple of years, Exelon, which is, I guess, the ComEd company that controls nuclear power plants <laughs> and other things, uh, are possibly going to be closing down that plant. Uh, how do you think that might change the face of Byron? You know, I honestly, I think it'll it'll probably change it quite a bit. I mean, that, that plant employs probably between seven and 900 people. And so, like I said, Byron's uh, population is like 3,800 here, but there's tons of smaller communities all, all around. So I, I would imagine it would be pretty impactful. Um, my hope is that, you know, we, this December will be, will be uh, here for two years. And so I think we have a pretty good following. We have people from Rockford, from, all surrounding areas so uh, and even chicago it turns out apparently <laughs> yeah <laughs> well you're only an hour an hour and 15 or 20 minutes out from west chicago where the britain yankee studios are and i think uh, fairly close uh, by is uh hot vine which is in aurora right ken or is it north aurora i never can tell no we're in aurora you're in Aurora. Okay. So it's only just a little bit extra. You just jump on that. Uh, uh, toll. That's it, right? There you go. Look at that. There you go. The hot <laughs> vine. <laughs> um, so what do you think of uh, turtle tree? Well, this is, this is, it's delicious. It's what it's supposed to be. It's a, uh, it's a uh, light American ale. Um, it's carved pretty heavily, which is what they're supposed to be. It's when I opened it and poured it, you could hear it fizzing like a soda pop and the bubbles on the head were like, you know, ind indicative of the higher carbonation, but these are supposed to be carved high. They're supposed to be really light and refreshing. And, uh, you know, they're described as a lawnmower beer. Um, I get a little, little floral notes from the hops, just slight when I drink it. I don't really smell the, the hops in it, but you know, to me, it seems right on. It's delicious. It's light. It's clean. Good job. Uh, when Ken said it was a lawnmower beer, I didn't see you go, oh, you kind of went, yeah. Because from my opinion, a lawnmower beer is a beer that has flavor, but you can put it down pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, that's, that's what we kind of tell people. It, it is, it's a lawnmower beer. It's, it's crushable. So... I'm a super lightweight when it comes to all things, you know, uppers and downers, I guess. But um, I love having a, a beer that I can have a, a couple, two or three and still, uh, you know, speak fairly intelligently, maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we tell people this is a lawnmower beer. It's kind of a gateway beer into some, oh, hey, craft beer doesn't have to be real heavy and and dark and and so yeah we start people there and hopefully educate them and then who knows maybe they're drinking the amber next week or yeah starts them down the path and absolutely and then you just move them along before you know it they're drinking ipas exactly so I imagine I you have a fair amount of population out there to, to to educate too i mean you know everybody learns everything on the internet now but you know having a brewery in town I would imagine you're going to encounter a lot of people that 
are going to come in and ask for a, I, what is it out there? Is it Bush or Miller or what's the big beer in town? So this is, this is a great option to try and move them onto your product and, and, you know, start educating them about small, small batch beer. Yeah. And it, it for sure is our, if you look at the numbers, it's our number one, number one seller for sure. This, and then our Kolsch, which would be our other kind of light colored light alcohol uh, option. Those two are, are neck and neck, but turtle tree is, is number one for sure. So you started um, canning these um, when, because, you know, this is obviously, um, they're not the official cans that you can sell and distribute, right? No, you, you, only, you only sell them in the, in the brewery. Yeah. And that actually is a result of COVID. So, um, so all breweries, most breweries in the area have been super helpful to us and to me. And so, uh, when, when the breweries got the order, restaurants and breweries got the order to shut down in March, um, we, we had a, a small little canning machine, an October machine that was like a 16 ounce, and we always had issues with it. So uh, another brewery in Rockford, Ferry Street, actually asked us, hey, we, we they rent a canning line uh, periodically where the truck comes and they, they come in the brewery and they set up. They basically do everything for you. You just have to have the beer cold and ready. And they asked us, would you be interested in, in uh, canning some beer as a way to generate revenue during this time where we can't generate any revenue because we weren't open. So, so we, hauled, uh, we hauled nine kegs uh, down to Rockford and, uh, and we piggy banked with them off of this. So this is the very first time we've ever um, actually canned our beer in an actual canning machine. So I, I, you say you took them to Rockford. Was that to the Prairie or to the Pig Mines? Prairie Street Brewery, right? Prairie. Okay. So, um, they've been super helpful to me uh, personally and to us as a as a brewery, helping us in A to Z. You know. Well, so, I tell you awesome. what, we have uh, we got three beers of yours to try in this session. So we're going to take a quick break now. We'll come back. We'll crack open the second beer. And then we'll talk about what the hell is a hairy cow? All right. Sounds good. And we're back from that short break. Um, in the meantime, we have pulled out of the fridge the next beer that we're going to try, which I think he's pulling my plonker here because he calls it Bloody Alice. Bloody Alice, he's he's thinking that you know, bloody hell, mate. All right, you know, well, so it should be good for uh, an Englishman. This is your Hellas Lager, right, John? Correct. Yep. Okay, so I'm gonna crack this little puppy open, and we'll see what happens. So you've got one too, right, Ken? Yeah, it's carved. It? One. Oh, he's going off camera. <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm gonna. There we go. So tell us the story of your bloody Ellis Lager, which I know you've used, you know, that's a, that's a kind of, you've got to come up with a name, so that's good. But yeah. uh, what have you, what, in terms of the brewing style, what do you got? Well, we've got a, a Munich Ellis here, and uh, I, I never was a huge lager fan. Uh, I really wasn't until I started having some lagers that were just amazing. Uh, we visited a brewery in Chicago, uh, 
uh, called Dovetail. Yep. And uh, did their tour and uh, as a brewer was so impressed by their facility, the open fermentations, doing the lagers the, the traditional way, just super, super impressed with the whole place. And so I, I, I kind of got inspired to do more lagers. And so this, this uh, Munich Hellas was kind of a spring, a spring beer that uh, I wanted to, to do. So that's where the idea came from. I wanted to do more lagers and make them clean and as, as best I can. And so, yeah, it was kind of right, right in the season there when, uh, when we were coming into spring and, uh, and so that's and, how Munich Hellas. And, and did it did it sell well because i know there are a variety of different finishes on hellas lagers and i've never been able to understand what the correct finish is as i taste your beer here i'm getting a very crisp clean not quite so sweet finish yeah so so uh so we did the, the, the Hellas like that. And then the next beer we were gonna do was, was a Maibach, which is a, a, a bigger version of that, more malty, higher alcohol. But that, that Bloody Ellis, we, that sold really, really, really well. It's, it's a, a light beer that's, that's, again, you can drink two or three of them and still, still function. And uh, tons of flavor and had a, had a great aroma, I think, you know? Yes, I would agree. Uh, Ken, have you managed to pour yours out? I know you were going back and forth there trying to find yeah. a good glass. This can was so so full and so carved. As soon as I opened it, it, it came out all over, and so I was cleaning up. Oh, no. Foam. <laughs> Is your wife but, uh, oh, beautiful. Look at nice that. Oh, that's, that's a good color. I like the look of that. You got the right glass for it. And... That's nice. It's got a slight, just a little bit of graininess, which I think is appropriate. Um, just a hint of, I get a hint of sulfur in there, a little, just a, just a hint. But again, that's appropriate. This, it's a, it's right on for me. So can I ask you a question then? I've heard that a couple of times from you brewing guys, uh, a hint of sulfur. That sounds bad to the average person, but it's not really, is it? Now, sulfur usually, it, it shows up in beer as dimethyl sulfide or DMS. And uh, if there's a lot of it, you'll smell like cooked corn or cooked cabbage. But uh, it happens when you don't get a real vigorous boil or a real vigorous um, fermentation. And so you get it with lagers a lot because you're slowing the yeast down with the temperature of the fermentation. So lagers, you tend to end up with a little bit of a sulfur in it. You can scrub it by bubbling CO2 through it, and it'll, it's one of the off flavors you can actually get out. But there's, like I said, some, some styles it's appropriate just to have a, a, bit, of, a bit of it in there, and, and this is one of them. Cool. So, John, yeah. what the hell is a hairy cow, and how come <laughs> you came? Well, you didn't come to name, because you have an owner, right? Todd? Todd McCluster. Tom McAllister. So he used to be in law enforcement in Byron, right? So tell us the story. Okay, yeah. So so Todd. Uh, <laughs> so we said, well, let's let's see what we can do. So we uh, we started. We did a Kickstarter uh, to raise some money. So we raised thirty thousand dollars in thirty days, 
and that kind of got the ball rolling on some plans. But that's wow, what it came about with his Harry Cows, and he he threw the name out there, Harry Cow Brewery or Harry Cow Brewing Company, and it, it just stuck. It just seemed to fit. Um, so we started working on I I, I started working on my recipes and uh, built a 10 gallon system in my basement electric so I could brew, you know, year round rain or shine. Um, and we, yeah. So, so that's how the name came about Harry cow. Um, and we, uh, I had a friend that had, had, that also worked for the church. I met at church uh, years and years ago. We been friends for so long. We can't even remember how we actually met, but we met through church. Um, Todd lived in, in Byron, but he was a, a rock police officer, and he ended up retiring after, I believe, 25 years, and uh, he had 42 acres here in Byron, and uh, kind of had, had kind of started collecting different, he had some chickens for, for farm fresh eggs, had pigs that he would process for some pulled pork for different things, and then he ended up getting some uh, Scottish Highlands which are just hairy cows. Um, they're, I think they're bred for their, uh, they're not dairy cows, they're bred for their meat, but they're just very unique, very, uh, I don't say docile, but they're pretty calm, calm cows, and they just, they just look beautiful. Um, so he, he started off with a bull and a, and a couple females and then ended up having some calves. And uh, so he would kind of went from being a, a, an officer to farmer, I guess. So he, uh, so we always enjoyed beer. We would go to uh, different breweries and do tours and tastings and we just appreciated, you know, good beer. And so, I don't know, he was sitting around on the porch one day and said, hey, I wonder, you know, maybe we start a tap room. So he called me in January, 2016 and say, uh, and asked me what it, I thought it would take to open a tap room. and. I told him, well, a lot of money that uh, said, hey, if you ever decide to do something with your beer, which I think you should, let me know and I'll, I may help you out with some marketing or some, uh, you know, business plan or, or a logo. So we contacted him and turned out he was working for, uh, he's a consultant, uh, but he had a big job for craft that he was working on. And so he, he said, hey, I've got this young guy that I think, you know, might be really good for you as far as developing a logo. And I'm like, oh, great. This guy's going to put me off onto this young guy that he doesn't know anything. But turns out he, after a couple of iterations, we ended up with this, this logo, the Harry Cow logo. And, and it was like spot on. Yeah. It's a really excellent blending of a hop and the Harry Cow. Yep. <laughs> and, and that actually uh, made us buy a couple of t-shirts when we came out to your place. So my wife really liked it as well. So <laughs> I don't know if, if you noticed this, but, if you look at the nose in, in the logo, if you pick up the logo, look at the nose, uh, that looks real similar to a cooling tower from a nuclear power plant. <laughs> oh, yeah. Holy cow. Holy cow. There you go. Cow, Bill. <laughs> Harry cow. Harry cow. There you go. Yeah, and actually, and if you go out to Byron, you are going to see uh, one of the last two nuclear power plants that's operating in Illinois. You'll see it on the horizon as you drive out there, but don't worry, folks, you won't get two heads. <laughs> yeah. 
And I have to say that um, one of the attractions was the fact that you advertise artisan pizzas, which I have to say are really good and they're really appropriately sized for, you know, two people or one person if you're a real pig. And I have to tell you, your uh, cheese curds are spot on. They are, they are battered just like a piece of fried fish in England would be. And they're just absolutely superb, but very salty, which means you have to drink more of the beer. So <laughs> maybe a good business plan. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Could be. <laughs> well, John, I got to tell you, our breweries have had a very similar start. I got into brewing as a home brewer and grew it into a career. And uh, the people that own Hopvine, Doug and Jan Isley, I, I know them through church. Okay. Uh, so got a couple of church relationships that spawn breweries here in Illinois. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. You, know, hey, you also mentioned your system there. You, you mentioned your homebrew system and it made me, I always ask about the breweries here so I can see it behind you, but I wonder if you could tell us about like the size of the manufacturer and sure. you know, anything else. About it. So, so this system is an eight and a half barrel system from Alpha Brewing Operations out of Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, so uh, I, you know, when you start down that path of looking at brewing equipment, there is a gazillion providers, you know, uh, people who do very, very high-end systems and those that are maybe not so great. So that was a, a daunting task, trying to select, number one, what size system you're going to go with, but, like, who you're going to go with, right? So um, long story short, we ended up with Alpha Brewing Operations uh, because my sister, who worked at Rockford University in Rockford, knew some guy and said, hey, you should contact this guy. He makes brewing equipment. So I'm thinking this guy makes one barrel systems out of his garage. I'm really not interested, but um, gave him a call and uh, turns out a uh, great company and they're, they're providing brewing systems for a ton of breweries. Well, I'd like to come back and, and find out exactly what your um, approach is, your philosophy to brewing and what you might be wanting to do in the future, because I understand that Todd really likes sours, but you don't do them yet. Uh, well, uh, we have since you've been here, so. Oh, okay. Well, we'll find out more about that right after this quick break. All right, we're back. And um, in the meantime, Mr. Ken has opened his third beer. But we've been having a slight off mic. Oh, he's going to open it again. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Psst. There we go. Well, I've st luckily, yeah. I've still got mine to open here. So I can actually get mine open. So this is at the other end of the spectrum from the lagers and the cream ales. This is a Russian Imperial Stout coming in at 11%. And it has a 6620. So we're looking at June date on it. Um, John, while I open this one, tell us a little bit about this and how the hell do you pronounce the name? Yeah. So I guess let's, let's uh, conquer the name first. So it's uh, Slancha Va. So Slancha is a, 
a Scottish uh, greeting, not greeting, but it's like good health or here's to your health. So we say cheers or salute or come by or um, all that. It's, it's, so Scottish, it's like uh, cheers. It's good health. Slancha. The, the second word is M-N, no, sorry, M-H-A-T-H. M-H, now I would say Mahath, but you said what? Like V-A, so Va, Slancha Va. Va. You know, this is the reason that the British and the Scots don't get on. <laughs> anyway, we've poured out our delicious Russian Imperial Stouts. Um, tell us the story of this one, because this is our heavy hitter for the evening. Yeah. And I'm, uh, as I say, I have it in my Big Thorn Farm Brewery uh, snifter, which is not that close to you, but it's further down Illinois than we are. <laughs> sure. Well, I guess I, I probably never would have brewed a Russian Imperial Stout because I'm such a lightweight and it's such a heavy, heavy, dark beer. Um, uh, Todd loves the high alcohol beers. And so he, he said, hey, I'd really like to have a Russian. So, um, so yeah, I went to task and trying to find a recipe and, and worked on it for a year or so. But yeah, this is one that uh, like I'll have in the dead of winter to kind of but you have 10 ounces of that, and at least for me, like, I, I need to probably stay seated for an hour or two. That, that's a big one. <laughs> Ken, you're, you're very familiar with Russian Imperial Stouts because you make one, the Ukraine yep. and Russia. Um, yeah, I, this is very different to your Crusher. Give us your opinion. Yeah, the, the Crusher's a little more... Uh, a little sweeter and a little more full-bodied. This one is, uh, it's, uh, it's like a medium full body. So it's fermented well. I mean, it's, it's, and it looks beautiful too. You, you can't really see through it, but at the corners, you can see the dark, that's pretty clear. Um, what I get most out of this is bitterness, but not like hot bitterness. It's like uh, Baker's chocolate, which is coming from the malt. Um, that's that would say that's my lingering finish on this. And uh, when, when was this beer brewed? This like in May. So, gosh, so that that version, the can was dated what six six twenty? You said yes. Uh, oh, wrong can. Hang on. <laughs> uh, six 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 six. So. Um, that was probably, yeah, that was probably, that was brewed in uh, August of 2019. Ooh. Oh, really? Wow. So, so it's already got over a year on it. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. Uh, I, I try to give this beer about three months before we start serving it. So it's, it's, it's a pain in the ass beer to brew, to be honest. I mean, it's such a huge grain bill. And then your, your net yeah. volume is, is, you know, very little. And what we've started doing, too, is we... Um, I might end up with maybe maybe five barrels in a fermenter, and then uh, I'll move that over to a serving tank. That's where we carbonate. Um, but even before we move it over, I'll, we've been getting some whiskey barrels from uh, a local distillery called Whiskey Acres. Yeah. Okay. So we, uh, we've been getting 25-gallon barrels from them. So uh, what I've been doing is filling two 25-gallon barrels um, and then letting that beer sit in the barrels for a, a period of time. And then whatever's left in the fermenter, move that to a serving tank. 
carbonate it, keg that off right away, and then just put it away and let it sit in the keg for hopefully um, a month or two, because uh, I like to let it sit for three months from, from the day I brew it, minimum, before we start serving. So I would, I would say that in comparison, and I hate to compare beers, but hey, that's what we're here for. Um, this is a very sippable, I wouldn't say pintable, <laughs> but it's a very sippable Russian Imperial Stout. Now, what you said about the bittersweet chocolate, that is spot on. This is absolutely a deliciously smooth, bittersweet chocolate Russian Imperial okay. Stout. I think it's easier drinking than most Russian Imperial Stouts because yeah. it is fermented well and got a little bit lighter body than, than uh, a lot of what you see out there. And and you didn't put lactose in it. No lactose. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, so Okay, so we've hit the lactose thing. Uh, so a couple of questions. Number one, are you doing any lactose uh, hazy IPAs? And number two... How are you doing a barrel program with beers similar to this? Uh, so first question, no, but I would, I would do a, a lactose hazy IPA. I've not, I've not really got on the bandwagon of doing hazy IPAs. Uh, we have a couple uh, IPAs and they are for the most part hazy, I would say, but uh, we don't filter here. You know, I do some clarifying a, a little bit, but um but I would, I would entertain the, the thought of doing a hazy IPA with, with some lactose. My, my current favorite beer right now is by Southern, Southern Tier. They have a milkshake IPA that uh, has lactose in it. And it's just so smooth. And yeah, so that was the first question. What was the second? Uh, what about your barrel, barrel program? Gotcha. So I had never barrel aged anything in my life. When I, uh, at home, when I was starting this recipe with the Russian, I, I got some medium oak uh, wood cubes, uh, I think from Amazon. And I, I did a, a, an oak version of it there, and that was pretty good. But uh, we, we uh, developed a relationship with that local distillery, like I said, Whiskey Acres, and, uh, and got a, a couple barrels from them, and we started putting the beer in the barrels. And that was the start of our barrel program, which I knew nothing about um, and still know very little about, but, um, but I'm learning. The first version of our barrel beer, barrel uh, Russian, we, we had in the barrel for three months. And so it had that, we got that big oak, woody bourbon, bourbon character, but it wasn't real smooth. <clears throat> People seem to love it, but um, it just wasn't real smooth. And so, the next batch we did, uh, I just kegged off that, and um, this is probably thanks to COVID too. Uh, that version of Russian Imperial Stout was 11.7%, and that sat in the barrels for about nine months. And so the result was just a much smoother uh, beer. Uh, I think the wood tannins kind of had a chance to mellow out, and you got uh, just a smoother, a smoother beer. So actually, I've, I've got that in kegs that I kegged off last Friday, and I've been forced carbonating it uh, for a week now. So it's not quite ready. It's not quite carbonated yet. But I would say by next weekend, we might be serving that, that Russian. And then that's an interesting, too. So that beer is going to be called Slancha Moor. 
Easier to pronounce. Maybe, yeah. So Slauncha <laughs> Vod is our Russian Imperial Stout, the base beer, and Slauncha Moor is the, the bourbon barrel-aged version of that beer. Will you awesome. be canning or bottling that? Um, we, will, we will possibly can that in our 32-ounce uh, crowlers, but because we don't distribute right now, if we do fill uh, the 32-ounce crowlers that we have, that would be at retail, like you were sitting in the pub. So we're, we're uh, that beer is getting about about a dollar an ounce for that beer. So possibly we, we won't be filling 16 ounce cans like what you have in front of you probably for a little while again, just because we're open again. We're not set up to, to, to brew in volumes and, and can 16 ounce beers. So you have also mentioned uh, sours that you were headed into because Todd likes sours. <laughs> and he never used to. He just, uh, he, he developed a, a taste for the sours at some point. And my wife loves them, but I just, I never had, had really, I can appreciate what they are. I just didn't develop a taste for them. But he'd been bugging me for probably six months or maybe even a little better to a sour. And that's another thing I had never, never attempted or, or, or did. So I was kind of intimidated a little bit, especially brewing out on a, on a bigger system like this, you know, but so my first approach was, uh, I just, I did a, a Berliner Weiss, which is a, a European sour, a, a very low alcohol kettle sour beer. And so, um, so the beer that we have on tap now, we don't even really have a name for it. It's just the Berliner Weiss. And, uh, this beer is a proof of concept. Number one, can I make a kettle sour um, and have it be a, a true to style beer? And then number two, is it going to be received well? Will people buy it and drink it? And if those two are true, which I've been able to brew it well, I think. And then if, it, if it's received well, then uh, we might do our, a higher alcohol kettle sour, maybe a fruited version uh, of that. So. We were uh, we were drinking away your beers, but you were drinking uh, something a little lighter. I think it had a peach in it. What was it that you had? Tell us the story on that one. Yeah, so so we wanted to do a couple summer beers that that. So we uh, right now we do two fruit beers. One is uh, one's called the Raspberry Tartar, which is a raspberry infused uh, light beer, and the other one is a is a peach peach beer. We call the peach beer uh, Preach Tree. So, so that one has, I think, uh, about 250 pounds of a, of a fruit puree put in it into the fermentation about three days after it, uh, after it kicks off. And uh, so it's a little tart, but fruity and hopefully well-balanced, which, which it is. So you guys have managed to survive COVID and the lockdown um you're still obviously serving your pizzas on your deck and also a limited capacity in your inside restaurant uh anything that people need to come out there for given the season of the oktoberfest yeah so uh so we're still in summer here but fall is quickly quickly approaching um so like most years you know things uh come up and like, oh, holy crap, you know, we, we need to start getting our Oktoberfest out there. And then 
their fall beer we do is a, is a pumpkin ale and uh, people who seem to either love or hate the pumpkin beer, but <laughs> yep. no, Phil's not a fan of the pumpkin beer, huh? I am not a fan of the pumpkin beer, but I will say, tell me how you make the pumpkin beer. Yeah. So it's, it's really, the recipe is just a really solid amber recipe. Um, it's, it's next to the Russian. It's probably the, the first or maybe second most pain in the ass beer to brew. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have about 150 pounds of just pure 100 percent pumpkin puree that goes into the mash and so it's just a huge sticky mess with uh pounds and pounds and pounds of rice holes so we can get that to run off um and then it's dosed with you know your uh typical fall spices in uh in the kettle and then again in the fermenter um and people love it those who like pumpkin ales seem to just love it. It's about a 6% beer. And it, the, the pumpkin and the spice is pretty well balanced, so you're not getting clobbered over the head, but yet it's it's there. So That is that is one of those beers that, and like, like there's nobody in the middle on that. No. They either love them or they <laughs> absolutely hate them and think you're a bad brewer because you decided to make them. Make a smoke, I make a smoked pumpkin porter, and it's a bitch to make, and it's like it – there's so much extra work in doing it. And yeah. then the people that hate pumpkin and beer come out and say, well, you're a hack brewer because you put pumpkin in a beer. No, no I, I, like, I like your pumpkin beer because you don't put too many spices in it and you smoke the pumpkin. Yeah. <laughs> Last year, Phil, I made a I made a pilot batch of a pumpkin spice latte beer oh. and sold it out in like a week. Okay. Yeah. So... Okay. I don't know. When you're back, business, back here, we're very traditional. <laughs> okay. So, John, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, really appreciate it. Um, sorry that Todd couldn't be there, but you know what? You know, they, they got other, he's got cows to attend to. Exactly. Yeah. They got to be doing a lot of crap out there. He's got to be cleaning out the crap from the cows, you know? <laughs> so I'm going to raise my, uh, Schlante Var, although ha is it Var? Var. That makes no sense. M H A T H. That's Mahath. So I like that. <laughs> I I'll raise my uh, Schlante Var to you. Uh, this is a very nice imperial style. I Where exactly are you, John? Yeah, so we're on uh, Route 2. Uh, uh, south of Rockford by about 30 minutes. So if you're coming sh from Chicago, you'll come in on 90, um, heading west towards Wisconsin, and then uh, you'll pick up bypass 20 and then see Route 2. So we're right on the river. It's, it's a it's a beautiful 20 to 30 minute drive once you're off the freeway, right on the Rock River. Um, and, uh, and and I will say that if you're coming on Route 72 which is right there. You cross the river. Google takes you left. Does it really? Google, go right. And go you're right, right off the railway bridge. Yes. Yeah, yeah. very good. I would also say from, from this area, you'd come out on 88 and head north from 88. Okay. Uh, it's probably about an hour, probably an hour from here. Get, get out there before the weather changes because you've got to take advantage of the uh, deck and the river. Beautiful deck. Ken, it's good night from me. 
and good night from him. And good night from you, John. Thank you so much. Cheers, you got an empty glass. Go and get it refilled. Get a refill. Schlauncher. Okay, Schlante. Schlauncher. Schlauncher, what is it? I don't know. Schlauncher. Yankee! Yankee! I'll have a pint, you Go, give us a pint. You got any tetanus? Uh, a pint, please, Bob. Give me another pint. Please, Bob.